Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. There's a fire on the mountain burning out of control. The sky is set ablaze in all its red and gold. The temperature's rising and the wind is blowing hot. We gotta turn this ship around before we run aground. We gotta turn this ship around before we run aground. Welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com, where you can also binge listen to your heart's content. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour. Celebrate life at the Birches. Call 224-9111. Well, I'm joined by the irrepressible Chris Ryan. Chris Ryan, the jokester of Concord, New Hampshire, Mr. Funny Guy, is with me today in the studio at Reddington Road, bringing to you the full tilt Brett Kavanaugh parade of horribles, because that's what we're dealing with. In fact, here we go. I'm Lindsey Graham. And I want to tell you that Brett Kavanaugh is supremely qualified to be on on the Supreme Court. He's got that wonderful temperament. Can you just imagine? There's a lawyer up in front of Brett Kavanaugh there on the Supreme Court making an argument, and Brett Kavanaugh is going to interrupt him and and, like and beer. with beer. I like beer, okay? I he, like beer. That's right. That's what Brett Kavanaugh is going to say. He's going to say, "Counsel, counsel, just hold it right there, right there. Let's talk about beer because I like beer." Do you like beer? Have you ever blacked out, counsel? And the lawyer are going to be sitting there. You know how lawyers are. They want to talk, but now they're tongue-tied because they can't admit that they like beer. Because Brett is an all-American male who likes beer. And it's like I, beer, okay? I, okay. And, and the boys just like beer. And, and it's good to have Brett along with me in the studio because Brett likes beer. You know the only time I really get angry is? When you, know, you when you don't have beer. I don't have beer. Like when you go to the convenience store yeah. and and you want like a certain type of beer and they don't have it. Yeah, right. Like that, well, that makes me mad. Well listen. Like, super mad. I gotta tell you that the Democratic majority is smearing beer. And and any political party that doesn't like beer, and I can tell you the Democrats don't like beer. That is clear from the kind I of I like beer. But the kind of questioning because Brett Kavanaugh is all about beer. Whatever else you may think, Brett Kavanaugh is about beer. And I get so upset. I get so angry. It's a despicable circus for all of those who are against beer. And that is the reason the Democrats are trying to take him down, because they don't like beer. They're, they're, they're wussy. They don't like beer. They're not all American men. And i got to tell you, there, there's some women on this panel here on the Judiciary Committee, and I bet they're not beer drinkers. They're probably 
wine drinkers. They probably don't even drink red wine either. They probably like white wine, and that's not all American. And that's why we're going to put Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court for the rest of his life so he can talk about beer from now till kingdom come. And that's why I'm supporting Brett Kavanaugh. Oh, my God, folks. Oh, oh, Lordy, Lordy, Lordy. What are we going to do? It looks like we may get a Supreme Court justice whose thing is beer. But he also likes parties. That's really clear. Although, to hear it from Brett, he's a, he's a choir boy. And after all, the FBI did an investigation. They investigated all of the nine people that the White House let him talk to, although there are 40 people waiting to come forward and actually talk about it. And in the end, for, frankly, it's not even about a he said, she said. It's about, is this the guy with the judicial temperament you want who can go off on, on Amy Klobuchar during a, during a Senate confirmation hearing who can, who can just gets so angry that he gets on uh, goes on an unhinged rant about left-wing conspiracies just imagine he's on the supreme court and some political case comes to him which has some implications uh political implications he's going to have to recuse himself from every political case that ever comes before the supreme court and of course if a case comes to him involving beer, he's going to have to recuse himself because he's already on record as favoring beer. Now, we didn't get into questions about whether he favors beer to the exclusion of other alcoholic beverages. For all we know, he likes to follow beer with vodka chasers. I mean, we don't we don't really know. We didn't get into the full depth and degree of his fondness for alcohol, but to hear him tell it He never really drank very much. He never really drank to excess. And he never did anything bad in his life because he was too busy lifting lifting weights with his football buddies. The most remarkable part of all this that's kind of gotten lost uh, is the fact that Brett Kavanaugh struggled through the course of um, the confirmation hearings prior to him uh, becoming enraged uh, and playing to the audience of Donald Trump and then writing an op-ed for the Wall Street Journal, which played to the audience of Jeff Flake and Susan Collins in regards to his judicial temperament. Um, Neil Gorsuch was a really good pick for the Supreme Court. He was. Uh, you know, Republicans won the last election, and they deserve the right to put a conservative justice on the Supreme Court. That's not what's at stake here, in my view. It is an individual who appears to not uh, be up to the task of being a Supreme Court justice and has displayed that throughout the course of, you know, these confirmation hearings. Um, The questions still linger, in my view, in regards to um, the testimony. Dr. Ford was believable um, and, you know, granted the FBI investigation was unable to um, reinforce her story, but it was so limited in scope that I feel that... um, you know, the results were kind of baked in. If I were Jeff Flake and Susan Collins, I would have requested that the FBI go back to work for another week and that be a full investigation of all the individuals who um, who should be uh, questioned in regards to what took place. The FBI was never going to push forth a conclusive, um, you know, report where they said, here's who you should believe, Jeff Flake and Susan Collins. It is Dr. Ford or it is Brett Kavanaugh. All they did was basically do the same thing that they had done before, expand it slightly, but um, there was not really anything new in regards to uh, that report. It was not exhaustive um, and you know, did not include all the individuals who were making claims. 
you know, I, I, I always hesitate to correct you, Chris Ryan, about anything you say, because you are the, the seer of Concord and, and, and the guru of radio. But one of the things that is so frustrating to people of good conscience, um, and it should be uh, frustrating to both Republicans, independents, as well as Democrats, is going back a little bit in history when you said Neil Gorsuch was a good pick, the Republicans won, and therefore they got their justice. Right, you're going to go with Merrick Garland. Let's, that. just, rem- let's just remember that uh, President Obama had nine months to go in his term when the appointment came up and Mitch McConnell refused to allow uh, the appointment by uh, President Obama of a of of a qualified and frankly somewhat conservative mm-hmm. justice who in any ordinary time except for the existence of Mitch McConnell and his cabal would have been uh, easily confirmed. Merrick Garland was a good nominee who was um, not especially liberal. And and would have been uh, the right nominee, but they denied President Obama uh, his pick. Uh, Neil Gorsuch went on the court. And now Mitch McConnell, who frankly, uh, I think, is responsible for all the damage that uh, this confirmation process has done to the U.S. Senate and the Supreme Court. Well, okay, I wasn't speaking specifically. I was was speaking more to Gorsuch as an individual, uh, as opposed to the the confirmation mm -hmm. You know, process and how it should have worked forward. He was as an individual, in my view. I buy that. Yeah. I buy that as an individual. He didn't go off on anybody. He didn't rant about beer. But and 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 let's face it, there were not allegations of misconduct brought forward. You know, and and part of the point of and if there was ever going to be a circumstance where allegations were pushed forward that had no basis and no reality and were some democratic plot. It was going to be with Neil Gorsuch, given what you were referring to in regards to Merrick Garland. It's a good good point. But, you know, frankly, the allegations that have been brought uh, about Brett Kavanaugh's conduct are they're not so much focused on whatever he did as a youth in high school and college, which in and of themselves is is terrible, bad, irresponsible, unbelievable. Uh, unacceptable uh, and criminal behavior. I mean, let's even putting that aside, the real gravamen of the allegations that have been made, including uh, allegations uh, and recollections by his college roommate, are that he's lied, that he's lied under oath, that he's not trustworthy, that he's not honest, that he hasn't even accepted responsibility for who he really was, what he really did, and has tried to portray himself as something which he has not, which is not what we expect from a Supreme Court justice. I mean, look, when I came to New Hampshire, I was hired by David Souter to work in the Attorney General's office. I came to New Hampshire uh, to work there because I had such extraordinary respect for David Souter as a person and as a jurist. And think about David Souter's demeanor. Think about his conduct uh, he was a conservative Republican. He hired me to prosecute in his office. He was appointed by Republicans to the Supreme Court. Uh, he later was reviled by the far right because they considered him too moderate. But think about his demeanor, his background, his experience, his conduct. Um, we ex- 
expect the Supreme Court to be the embodiment of 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 irreproachable conduct that the Supreme Court has always virtuous individuals. the, The Supreme Court has always existed. It is the ultimate check in our government. It is the ultimate body that rules on what is law and what is not law. It is the place for the the best people, the brightest, the best and the brightest minds and people whose conduct is beyond reproach without a hint of scandal, without a hint of fraud, without a hint of political leanings. Um, I remember talking to Justice Souter about his distress at the Bush v. Gore decision back in 2000, where he said uh, the Supreme Court had essentially acted as a political body, not as a legal body. It caused him great distress because he believes in precedent. He believed in the uh, sanctity of the Constitution. And he was an institutionalist who, who understood that the Supreme Court is the final, the final arbiter of justice in, in our land. And to have a guy like Brett Kavanaugh, who, for whatever reason, under whatever circumstances, can go off unhinged on a rant and accuse people of political conspiracy on our Supreme Court means it's a sad day for America if it happens. We don't know as we sit here today exactly what's going to happen, but if he gets on the court, it's a bad day for America. This is Paul Hodes. It's off the record on WKXL, streamed live at nhtalkradio.com, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. Thanks for listening, folks, and we'll be back after this to hear from uh, folks involved with the New Hampshire Film Festival coming up in Portsmouth in a short period of time. Don't go away. We'll have some really fun conversation coming your way. lead us in with a little um, for our sponsor and then we'll talk okay sounds good right welcome back to off the record with paul hoods here on wkxl am and fm streamed live over the internet archived at nhtalkradio.com for your binge listening pleasure we're brought to you by the birches at concord new hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with alzheimer's dementia or other forms of memory impairment Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches. Call 224-9111. Well, I'm very pleased to welcome back to Off the Record, Nicole Gregg, the executive director and the guru of the New Hampshire Film (laughs) Festival, which is coming up soon in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Nicole, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I can't believe it's been a year since we talked about the last fabulous film festival. Now we're coming up to the 2018 edition, and uh, things are really things are really hopping. It's um, it's going to be a really incredible time. Um, tell us a little bit about this year's festival. Uh, give us the the dates, the times, and uh, then let's talk about what some of the special things that are happening are. Okay, sounds good. Well, 
the dates are coming up. It's October 11th through the 14th, uh, kicking off this coming Thursday, um, running through Sunday. And all of the events take place in downtown Portsmouth. So we have the music hall, the loft, the Moffat Lad, the 3S art space, and then about a dozen other participating venues um, for various special events and parties and panels and workshops and all that fun stuff. Um, the website is nhfilmfestival.com where you can purchase your passes and find out more about scheduling and how to get here and what to do from there. You know, last year, um, for, for, those, for those folks in um, our listening audience who are more centrally located in New Hampshire who don't get to Portsmouth as often as everybody would like to because it's a wonderful place, um, <laughs> last year the festival had to contend with a little bit of uh, sidewalk and road construction in front of the, the music hall, as I <laughs> That's recall, right. it was uh, it was you know everybody everybody was a good it didn't it didn't seem to diminish anybody's enjoyment. But you know if it, now all of that has been completed, the 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 sidewalk and the roadway in front of the the music hall is really gorgeous. They've done a tremendous job of putting it together, and the music hall is one of the really great places. Um, in all of my experience to see films and just to be because it's uh, intimate, it's small, it's really well put together. Um, uh, here's an odd little thing. I, I mean, now, I, I don't, don't think I'm crazy, but uh, I have to tell you that the men's room in the music hall is one of the great men's rooms I've ever been in. I can't speak to the women's room, of course, but, I mean, it's just so totally funky in keeping with uh, the Portsmouth vibe and, and the spirit of the New Hampshire Film Festival that you have created is really tuned in to that kind of funky, eccentric, but highly professional and artistic culture that um, is all about Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Well, I appreciate that. That is definitely a first, having our festival, um, you know, related to a bathroom. But for those of you who have been to the music hall, um, you are correct. It is a pretty um, incredible place. Uh, they left no stone unturned when they renovated that space, including the bathroom. So it really is a, you know, a magical place um, that we have right here in downtown Portsmouth and... Um, you know, it's it's definitely one of the cultural anchors of the state as well. Um, the music hall was, you know, one of the reasons I envisioned having a festival here. So it is amazing to see the transformation that that space has gone through. And, um, you know, it is our main stage venue of the festival and the, the renovations of what they did outside with the arch and the streetscape is really spectacular. So this year we're really looking forward to our red carpet event, which um, I, I don't know if I can mention this, um, but, you know, the Provident Bank is one of our big supporters, and so they, you know, it's the Provident Bank red carpet, and it is going to be absolutely spectacular this year. Oh, that's really good. You know, and the uh, one of the other great things about film festivals, but also especially in Portsmouth, is that 
um, number one, they're great places to eat for people who spend the day or evening or overnight at the festival, if there are any hotel rooms left. Um, <laughs> and also the other spaces that that the festival uses are all unique and wonderful. Um, the loft across the way, you know, just across the street uh, from the music hall is an intimate kind of black box um, theater that really works, really works well. I'm I'm hosting in full disclosure. I'm going to host a <laughs> coffee block panel discussion at That's the right. at the Moffat Lad House on some ungodly hour uh, Saturday. <laughs> you know, Saturday of the festival. I'm only nine a.m. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. So it's not that ungodly. It's not just, that ungodly. It's just for for uh, for late night artists who've been out partying on uh, the night before nine a.m. can. Can, uh, can be a little early, but but we will have coffee and Lil's crullers oh, and man. cider donuts from Applecrest. That we'll even have some croissants from the French bakery here as well. So right. we'll make it worth your while. Oh, I'm 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 happy. Uh, you know, we'll be uh, talking to uh, producers and directors and people who are involved with some great films. I've started to view um, with my special online screening uh, some of the movies that I will uh, be able to be interviewing and helping moderate the discussion about. And it's it's going to be that's going to be really fun. And and you're also. Um, getting some some wonderful premieres and and really hot films this year. Yeah, we're really excited. It's um, it's always so nerve wracking. Um, you know, while we're in the process, just like I'm sure it is for any artist creating, you know, a piece of art, whatever medium it might be. But you know, the festival is like, you know, a piece of art for us, and it's so nerve wracking trying to pull it all together. And then, you know, there are days where nothing is going our way and then all of a sudden it just the pieces just start falling into place and all of a sudden it starts coming to life and um we're really really excited about all the you know special events and films and filmmakers who are coming um you know we've got alumni coming back this year that are just so incredibly talented and um like Meryl Goldsmith, who did Love Gilda, she's an alumni filmmaker. We had her film a few years ago. And, um, you know, when we came across this connection, we thought, we have to get this back. And she was thrilled to come back here and loves being in Portsmouth. And, um, you know, it's, it's just there's so many layers of excitement and so many different reasons to be excited and feel, um, you know, proud of the event we're putting on and you know that's always so validating when we have filmmakers returning with wow. new projects. Well, you know, it it is really wonderful because you you feel like you've contributed to the career of an important artist. I I've been lucky enough to see Love Gilda which played not only played um first run independent theaters but uh, it, you know ha- has had a little bit of a life on on uh, on the on the on the small screen TV but mm-hmm. seeing it on a big screen is special and and being able to be there with the the person who made a film like that which is a really stunning achievement i mean the film is it's a great documentary that that about the life of the brilliant 
comedian Gilda Radner. Um, and having the opportunity to speak with the person who made that film uh, is going to be really exciting. Um, if I'm not mistaken, she may even be on my coffee block. I um, think she will be. Yeah, yep. that, and I'm that's uh, the plan. I, I'm I'm thrilled. Um, uh, and that's you know that's that's the beauty of a film festival. It's it's a whole nother story. It's a whole nother experience um, going to see the film with the filmmakers themselves, and really having the chance to go behind the scenes, um, ask them questions. It's, you know, it's just such an interactive experience um, that, you know, the small screen and, you know, electronic devices, they just can't take that away. They cannot replace that experience. Nothing, nothing replaces that. And, and as you know, Nicole, Nicole, I'm really uh, excited about everything that film festivals do in terms of creating community because what happens at a festival is you 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 see when you go and especially if you go over a couple of days you see people that you begin to recognize and it's as if um uh, sort of like when you make a film and people come together from all the disparate walks of life to make a film but when you're at a festival people come from all over and create a community for those days at the festival and it has a very special feel. Well, and it's, yeah, it's about making new friends. It's about reuniting with friends. There's so many people um, here and around here that make this an annual tradition. Um, And it really does, you know, generate that sense of community and togetherness um, and, you know, unplugging and just really not only enjoying the movies, but enjoying the people you're around and walking around downtown Portsmouth, shopping, going out to eat. Um, It's a pretty magical experience when you combine all of those elements. So putting the festival together is really, uh, you know, it's a year long, it's a, it's a year long effort. And um, part, part of it involves um, uh, receiving submissions of films and screening them and curating them. And how many films uh, in total, if, if you know, uh, are, is the festival featuring this year and how many submissions were there? I believe we are somewhere around. Um, we're somewhere around a uh, hundred and eight ish. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. so we lose some, we gain some, we move some around. So I, I lose track. Yeah. Um, but uh, and then our submission um, pool is about a thousand. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Wow. So about ten percent is what we. Select. It's like a college application process, uh-huh, right? But you know, one of the things it speaks to is this: is the standards, um, and they are high standards for getting a film into the New Hampshire Film Festival. I, you know, have uh, because I'm hosting a panel and screening some of the films um, of whatever style they are. The the New Hampshire Film Festival is has gained a reputation for extraordinarily high high quality um, that in some ways belies the small size of of the venue. You know, I mean, we're in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. We're not in New York City or L.A. or some major city. And in a way, that's the point. And the professional standards and curation are really important because uh, you, the New Hampshire Film Festival gets great films. 
Yeah, well, we, you know, it's, um, we've been around a long time. We're 18 years old this year. Wow. And, you know, it didn't start that way. <laughs> but <laughs> well, you've been, working, all, you've been like, working really hard. You know, it's just like with any, um, you know, with any business, it's about building relationships, building trust, um, networking, and just really trying to put forth the best product we possibly can. So, um, you know, over the years, we have, again, cultivated a great um, following of filmmakers who come back to us every few years or every year, however, so often they are making new projects, and we love having return filmmakers. Um, you know, we work with a, a bunch of um, distributors in New York City who, you know, we're in touch with for getting some of our bigger films, but, you know, in general, the program, we want it to be something that, you know, can attract anyone without sounding cliche. There really is something for everyone. So we have some of our larger, more mainstream, independent films that are audience pleasers, you know, real crowd pleasers. Um, Then we have some of those, you know, off-the-beaten-path indies that, you know, might push the envelope a little, um, challenge people to see something a little bit out of their comfort zone. Um, and then, of course, the, the range of documentaries and shorts. And, um, and then we have our New Hampshire program. So we celebrate the artists who are working in film um, right here from the Granite State or originally from here and living out in L.A. or somewhere else and making movies like our Thursday night big opening feature, Damsel, um, the producer. He was one of the you know, first few filmmakers that attended um, that was a part of this festival way back when and he's now a big producer he actually lives in Texas his name is Chris Olson and we're showing his film um, called Damsel on Thursday night and he can't be here with us this year but hopefully he'll come next year and you know 18 years later he's making big independent films Um, so yeah we, we really do have something for everyone and it has taken some time to, you know, cultivate that type of program, but well, we're, we're really looking forward to it. We're talking with Nicole Gregg, the executive director uh, and originating founder of the New Hampshire Film Festival, uh, which uh, goes on in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Nicole, thanks for joining us. Folks, go to the website for the New Hampshire Film Festival, which is nhfilmfestival.com. You're not going to want to miss the great films coming up. uh, And the dates are? October 11th through the 14th. There you go. Nicole, thanks for joining us. We'll see you in Portsmouth at the festival. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join the tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. Don't go away. We'll be right back to talk with one of the filmmakers from the New Hampshire Film Festival after this. Welcome back to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com. 
where you can binge listen to your heart's content. We're brought to you by The Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at The Birches, call 224-9111. I'm very pleased to welcome to Off the Record, Alfred Thomas Catalfo, known to me as Freddie, um, an extremely talented person in all aspects of his life. He is a startlingly accomplished trial lawyer. He is a rock musician. And above all, uh, his passion of late is filmmaking. Freddie has produced scripts and films that have won uh, awards all over the globe. And uh, we're really pleased Freddie, to welcome you to Off the Record. Thank you so much, Paul. Well, with, with that introduction, I uh, I hope I hope I can uh, can match up. And when what I haven't told my listeners is that Freddie uh, is a New Hampshire native. I knew uh, I knew your dad, Freddie. I practiced when I was uh, really active practicing law. He was uh, he was one of the guys who uh, was was practicing, and you followed in his footsteps as a lawyer. But uh, he was not a filmmaker, and you I know you started kind of in the arts world as, as a rock and roll musician, and you're a, uh, a, a really accomplished singer and songwriter, and, and then you jumped into filmmaking. Yeah, uh, well, it's been an interesting ride, that's for sure. What, what propelled you into filmmaking? Well, essentially what happened was uh, I was playing in all original bands uh, back in the 80s, and, uh, you know, uh, that was when the, uh, when the video uh, scene was really burgeoning, and... Um, uh, what happened was we, uh, the band I was in at the time, uh, won the MTV Basement Tapes, so, which was uh, sort of a forerunner to things like American Idol. You did show videos, and then people would would phone in uh, over a couple of hours uh, from across the, the country and the world, and uh, and vote on them. And we were fortunate enough to win, and that kind of uh, got me into back into the visuals. I was always, you know, uh, interested in writing and interested in film, but that uh, that sort of was the impetus for that. Um, then I moved out to uh, Los Angeles for a year before I came back to, to go to law school and, um, and uh, you know, did some interesting things out there with, uh, with film projects and, um, and that kind of thing. Man, oh man. And so it's been a really, it's been an interesting ride for you. You're now on your ninth film, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. And uh, the films have really covered covered the waterfront. Uh, you've you've won a ton of awards from uh, festivals and screenplay contests uh, from from all over. Um, one of your really great films is a film called Split Ticket, which um, uh, I think is 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 really a masterful piece. Uh, most of your films um, are have been short films. Oh, what? What, tell me about um, concentrating on the short film format. Uh, why? Is it a matter of style? Is it a matter of story? Is it a matter of budget? Is it all of those things? It's really all of those things. Uh, you know, short filmmaking is, uh, is almost, it's one of the last bastions of true independent filmmaking, in, in my view, because you, you really have to um, depend on creativity and, frankly, calling in a lot of favors um, because uh, you know, the budgets simply aren't there. You can't really uh, make any money from short 
films. Um, short films are more or less a calling card uh, in the hope that you will be able to, um, you know, raise the money or to, uh, to take one of those short films and turn it into a feature film, a full-length feature film in the future. Um, but it does require, uh, you know, telling a, telling a story, uh, coming up with a three-act structure, and uh, telling it effectively in a short time frame. And we're talking, my, my latest film, the one that's going to be premiering next week at the New Hampshire Film Festival, is called Incandescent. That's 15 minutes, a little over that. Um, split ticket, as you mentioned, is about 20 minutes. Um, sometimes shorter, sometimes longer. Uh, but, you, you know, you have to be pretty creative and pretty effective to, to I think, to tell a story and make it, um, you know, interesting and engaging in that short of amount of time. But there's no question that budget um, has, a, has a lot to do with it. I, I always liked short stories uh, better than novels. It, it's my chosen form of uh, fiction when I read short stories. What I find is the masterful ability to take a big subject and deliver it um, and tell the story in in a shorter period of time really requires a lot of discipline, a lot of talent and creativity in not in in, in letting the audience uh, or the reader, but in film terms, the audience not feel like you've left anything out, but they're getting the full picture of the characters and the development and the plot. I'm really excited about Incandescent, uh, which, as you said, is a science fiction film premiering at this year's New Hampshire Film Festival. We just had a conversation with Nicole Gregg, who's uh, you know, running the festival, and I think you've got a pretty special spl- slot for your film at the, at the festival. Yeah, we're, we're very grateful. The first thing I just w- would want to mention is that um, the New Hampshire Film Festival is really a gem. Um, my latest film, Split Ticket, the, the one before the one that's premiering yep. next week, uh, has been in 42 festivals, and uh, I don't go to all of them, of course, but I go to a lot of them. And uh, the New Hampshire Film Festival, it's our hometown fest, but it's such a standout for a number of reasons. Um, and, and all my films have played, uh, played at, uh, at NHFF. Um, Nicole um, Gregg has done an absolutely phenomenal job um, building the festival um, along with her, with her husband, Zach. And uh, uh, they have a great programmer, and Ian McCarthy, and um, Dan Hannon, one of the the founders, is is still uh, very much involved. They're all folks who love film, who are, are fantastic organizers. It's just the right uh, length. It's four days, and of course, it's the most beautiful time of the year um, in New Hampshire, in my view. And in addition to that, Portsmouth is such a walkable town. Uh, some of the festivals I've been to, great fest, but they're spread across a, a city or a or a region, and uh, uh, in Portsmouth, all of the screening venues, all of the parties, everything are really within close proximity, within walking distance. So it makes it a, a just a, a great uh, community event, and um, and and so we're we're grateful to them. Um, we're uh, fortunate enough to be on uh, opening night, New Hampshire night, which is uh, next Thursday, October 11th. We're in the uh, we're the first film in the late short film block. Um, although the late short film block is at um, five twenty five p.m., so it's still you know fairly early. 
Um, and then we're going to have an, uh, an encore uh, screening of it uh, on the closing day on Sunday, October 14th, um, in the 335 uh, Shorts Block, uh, which is at uh, 3S Art Space, another good venue. Um, the, the opening night one on October 11th is at the Music Hall, and that's always great because the Music Hall is such a... Uh, uh, such a, 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 a super place to, um, to to be and to to show uh, you know to to show your film and it's on the big screen so we always enjoy that. Yeah, well, I'm really excited. I'm going to definitely be there for the opening night festivities on uh, October 11th. I'm excited about seeing your film. I've I've seen the trailer. I'm not going to give anything away, but tell us a little bit about the film. Tell us how you came to uh, think about a, a science fiction film about the genre uh, and, and what's gone into the writing and production. Who's in it? What what what's it about? And what can we expect to see? Sure. Uh, I don't typically do. This is my first really science fiction uh, one. I've done things that sort of uh, touch on the supernatural. For instance, Split Ticket, which you, you mentioned earlier, is I view it as kind of a Twilight Zone episode, but it's based on a true, um, a true event. And the, uh, the true event is um, that in 1947, uh, John Kennedy, who was a new congressman, age 29, and Richard Nixon, who was a new congressman as well, at age 34, took a trip together to McKeesport, Pennsylvania. And I just found it fascinating that they... They took this trip together, and they did a little debate before a community group, and they went out for hamburgers, and uh, and uh, these you know two young guys just coming into their prime, close friends at the time, uh, and then they share an overnight sleeping compartment on the Capital Limited train over the Alleghenies back to Washington because they had a vote the next day. So I built a, a Twilight Zone, I guess you could say, uh, episode around that. Um, so I've I've touched on that sort of thing before, but, um, but incandescent uh, is the story of uh, really uh, what happens is that a nomadic alien race uh, finds our sun, and they find it because of the golden record, a true thing that is on the side of Voyager 1. And um, they find our sun, and they build a Dyson sphere, or they start to build a Dyson sphere around it. A Dyson sphere is a megastructure. This gets a little... Um, a little, uh, I, I guess you could say, wonky and techy, but uh, a Dyson sphere um, is a kind of a theory that when a star dims way out in space, it could be uh, the sign of a um, uh, of an alien species that has the technology to build a megastructure around a star that would absorb light and heat. It was uh, it was originated by a physicist named Freeman Dyson back in the uh, back in the sixties. So an alien race is building this. Uh, the structure around our sun, it's going to cut off all light and heat to the Earth, and things start to get cold and start to get freezing, and uh, society starts to collapse. And the story focuses on one young woman, uh, played by a fantastic actress, um, Amanda Dane, who is uh, from here in the seacoast of New Hampshire. And uh, she was a young teacher who was a survivor of a school shooting, and um, and she kind of is trying to hold on her to her humanity um, in this in this uh, withering and dying world. So that's really how it came about. Wow. 
Well, I, I don't know how to do them easy, Paul. <laughs> you know, my, I, I know many filmmakers who the short films are two people sitting around a table talking, and that's wonderful. I just don't know how to do that personally. Well, I'll tell you, from the trailer, it looks like, you know, I mean, it looks like a huge, big-budget feature that's a compact uh, feature, but it doesn't give anything away in terms of the effects and uh, the performances the uh, the filmmaking is as usual as I know uh, you know it, I don't take it for granted but it's of the highest caliber Thank you. Thank um, you so it's much. gonna be it's gonna be great I'm really I, I can't wait to see it and um, I look forward to seeing the premiere of incandescent by filmmaker Freddie Catalfo on Thursday October 11th um, in the a last short block at the New Hampshire Film Festival opening night. Uh, folks, uh, it is worth the traveling to see it, and you'll get a chance to um, see and maybe even talk to Freddie. And uh, it's always great to have the filmmaker there. So, Freddie, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Good luck at the festival. I will see you there. Uh, this is Paul Hodes on Off the Record. WKXLAM and FM streamed live over the internet, archived at nhtalkradio.com, and brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join the tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224 9111. Folks, don't go away. We'll be back to wrap up this edition of Off the Record after this. Back to Off the Record with Paul Hoods on WKXLAM and FM Street, live at nhtalkradio.com. Well, what a week it's been. We had Lindsey Graham visit us. Well, not really, but a false Lindsey Graham come and visit us about the Brett Kavanaugh charade. And we talked with great folks from the New Hampshire Film Festival and filmmaker Freddie Catalfo. Don't miss the New Hampshire Film Festival coming up starting October 11th in Portsmouth. This is Off the Record with Paul Hodes, WKXLAM and FM. Thanks to our great sponsor, the Birches at Concord. Thanks to you all for listening. We'll be back next week with more Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM.